You're listening to the Saving Capitalism Podcast, and I'm your host, A.J. Osborne. Honestly, though, today, this is really the A.J. Osborne takes over Ryan Pineda's podcast room, considering I'm in your studio sitting in your seat, man, and I'm not going to lie, I kind of like it. You like it? You, like well, it. you know, I've been looking for a replacement. Well, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. Uh, how's things been going? It's good, man. Vegas, the weather's getting better. Yeah. Um, it's always good to see you, so too, I'm man. excited to uh, chat it up, dude. Yeah, it's been uh, crazy because I was here in the fall where we were on your podcast and you spoke at my event. That's right. We spoke at your event, which man, I got to tell you, that was so awesome. You put on an amazing event. Lots of those events are a little more impersonal thing, but you had a big get together the night prior Yep, and you were just in it with everybody. Everybody was having an awesome time. Uh, Very impressed, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, Yeah. We, uh, we do it every quarter. It's called WealthCon now. And, uh, I mean, we just finished our one last week in Hollywood and over a thousand attendees and it was crazy. That is so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Very impressed. You had, and the lineup of speakers, I mean, Alex Hermosi, you just had uh, quite the lineup, dude. Yeah. It was, it was a good one. Yeah. Well done on that. Thank you. If you've seen a change, because we're right now, I mean, you're obviously huge into real estate, into lots of different avenues. You are big on the education. You have this amazing media stuff going on as well. Since you had your event, since I was here on your podcast, uh, a lot has really changed in the marketplace. And considering in the banking situation, uh, I've I've been hearing a lot more chatter about people a little nervous about that. And it, it tends to not be evenly affected. So there's some markets and some industries that I feel are feeling the heat where other parts are just unfazed. What are you seeing and what has really changed since last fall to today? Yeah. So, I mean, last fall when they were doubling interest rates, um, things just kind of came to a halt and, you know, like our house flips weren't selling, you know, sitting on these high interest loans. Um, it's, it was, it made it like impossible to pencil out any kind of commercial deal just because yeah. like now everything was totally different with the rates. And so, yeah, we, we didn't really buy too much commercial. We bought, actually, we bought one apartment building um, in Iowa, but you know, the, the flips ended up taking a hit because it was like, man, nobody wants to buy. Um, homeowners or, or the buyers are like thinking prices are going to drop, which they didn't even really drop. I mean, I think here in Vegas, we had about a 10% decrease um, from the peak, peak. in yeah. July. Year over year, I don't, you're not even, no, no. And now inventory is dropping every single week. And I mean, we're back to our uh, seller's market again. (laughs) So, and I mean, on the single family side, they're doing things like the 40 year mortgage now and all this other stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, to me, it's just, it's back to being um, a pretty good market as a flipper. Do you, do you think that is more due to the expectations have changed as in we're now okay with this? you know, 6% interest rate where before it was just a shock to the system and everybody had to kind of come to grips with a new reality. Yeah. And I think people also just wanted to see how it would play out. Yeah. And I think it's played out that, yeah, there was a slight dip and now it's done. <laughs> yeah. If you were waiting for some kind of crash and you thought you were about to get some crazy deal, you're not. Yes. And they've accepted it. Yeah. That, <laughs> um, 
people tend to always time that wrong, right? <laughs> and I and I've I've I tried to talk to a lot of people because they're like, oh, we're going to hold out for how long, and we're going to see if things get better. And I said, you know, when people found out when the bottom of the recession in 2008 was, it was a year after it had already ended yeah. or two years after. They didn't even know the recession. They didn't even claim it was a recession until it was over. Right. And I think that people get very caught up in more of these big timing the markets, big waves because what they're hearing on the news. And I've just never found that to play out for anyone. Yeah. Well, and I also think for the normal everyday person who's trying to time the market, it's like, yeah. really? You're somebody who doesn't even do this professionally. Yes. You think you can time the markets? Like, makes no sense. No sense at all. And when you look honestly at the wider picture, when you're concerned about the fundamentals, right? And you're looking at the market fundamentals, the asset fundamentals, whether it's a few percentages better than it was or worse than it was in a few quarters, in the long term, that generally tends to be irrelevant if you back out long enough. Even in markets that were severely hit in the recession, it's shocking at prices today compared to 10 years ago. Oh, and man. even before the recession, it was highs that I don't think anybody ever even thought they'd get to. Yeah. Like, so I'll give you guys some background for those who don't know. I got into real estate in 2010. And so that was at the very bottom, like you said, two mm -hmm. years after, like we had bottomed out here in Las Vegas and Vegas got hit harder than any other market. Um, and so I remember showing houses as a realtor that were like $80,000, brand new, like 1600 square foot home that was built in 2008. Someone bought it, never lived in it. They bought it for like 350 back then. And then it was 80 grand in 2010. It was nuts. And, you know, as time has gone on, that same house today is worth 400, 500,000, whatever the yeah. case is. So if somebody bought at the bottom, they've 5X'd. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's not including the rent all the way. Yeah. Not even including cash flow and all that stuff. But, you know, I've actually had a very big um, mindset shift just now being in the industry for. 13 years. Um, I remember back in 2010, all the hedge funds were buying up all these houses at auction and they were overpaying, overpaying. Yeah. 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 <laughs> they were paying, if the house was worth 80, they were paying 80 or 90. Yeah. And I was like, how are they, pay why are they paying above market value? That's so stupid. But to your point in the long run, it didn't matter. They knew they had to just accumulate as many Much houses as, as humanly possible because in a 10 year time horizon, it was irrelevant. Yeah. And I watched them do that as my career progressed. In 2015, the same thing was happening. In 2018, we actually started selling to the hedge funds wholesale, and they were always the biggest buyer. And, you know, we would make a nice lick on a wholesale fee, but now I look back at it in hindsight and I'm like, okay, they held it for five years. <laughs> Who actually won that transaction? Yeah. And they killed it. I mean, their properties at least doubled in the last five years, not counting any kind of rent growth or anything else. And so I was like, wow, you know, these hedge funds are still buying today. We still sell to them yep. today. So that must tell you they're still anticipating the same playbook the next 10 years. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to start a fund and start buying these things myself. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I already have an operation that gets deals and fixes them up. I'm just keeping them for myself these days. Yeah. So that's well, what that we're about to do. If I love how you, you pointed this out. And when you looked at the hedge funds, what at the time you said, why you're, you're 10,000 overpaying. 
in reality, they were looking at it. If I don't buy this house, I'm losing out on 300,000. 100%. So it wasn't that I'm losing 10,000 today. I'm losing 300,000 if I don't buy it today. Yep. And that's that, that switch out of that momentary, almost emotional driven stage is what really separates people. My, you know, a lot of people in our world and self-storage world, they're laying off a lot of people. Yeah. Why? Because deal transactions is down so much. In the inverse, we're hiring. We're hiring mm. up a lot and we're hiring a lot of professionals. And when asked, they're like, why are you leveling up? Why are you hiring so many high paid employees, everything else? It's because this is the time that separates us. And by us being prepared and buying as much as we can now, it actually moves us upstream very, very quickly. It yeah. separates us out and we're going to need the team to develop and do that. Whereas if we're shrinking our team, if we're going down, the moment the deals start coming on, we can't capture them. So then by the time we set up and get ready, it's already too late and all have bought the deals. Yep. And understanding that not being very emotional driven is what set us apart in the first round in 2009 and 10, where you know we were buying a deal it was our first big storage deal that I remember. It was three million bucks. Mm -hmm. I was scared to death. <laughs> I was like, nobody's doing it. We were the only buyer. Yeah, their markets. <laughs> Am I overpaying? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm like, you know, what are we doing here? And today it's worth fifteen million. It's just yep. irrelevant. 5X, yep. You know, absolutely irrelevant. So when you're looking now at all your business, go into this first. Let's let's hit <laughs> on this, man. You do so much. Yeah. What what are you doing? What is your focus area today? And really, how'd you get here? Oh, man, that's a very open-ended question. Um, <laughs> so we've got a lot of different businesses now. Um, by my count, we're at six or seven that do seven, eight figures a year in revenue. And, you know, I have the house living business, which I talked about. Um, that's been what was traditionally always my bread and butter for how I made money. Um, in 2020, I got into the digital space and I started creating social media content. And I realized that the scalability and the opportunities um, beyond just flipping houses were so much greater um, with influence. And so I went really hard on social media. And, you know, in the last three years, I've grown from basically nothing to 2 million followers. We've gotten almost a billion views online, which is crazy. And you know, now everything that I do is based around what I think my audience needs because yeah. I know I already have the built-in buyers. So, you know, what did we start? Well, we started doing education. So um, we, we've expanded into so many verticals of education. It started off with just fix and flip because that's what I knew. Then we launched um, Wealthy Creator for teaching entrepreneurs how to do social media content. Now we're launching you know, wealthy business for just general entrepreneurs. We're launching a Christian um, mastermind called Wealthy Kingdom. And, you know, like our education business is, uh, you know, an eight-figure business right now. And hopefully it's going to be multiple eight figures this year. And, you know, that's, that's just such a great thing because it's fulfilling. But also too, you know, our students, I know what kind of services and things they need. So I have a yes. tax firm and, you know, that's a multi seven-figure business. And, you know, it does great and it's going to continue to grow. Um, we just launched something called Pineda Media where we do all the editing and um, filming and everything for entrepreneurs. We help them build their personal brands and go viral. Uh, we have Pineda Capital, which, you know, is, yep. is how we syndicate for apartments and yeah. all of that. Um, so there's a lot of businesses, man. And, 
we're going to continue to do more. Um, one of my big things this year is, you know, everything to this point, I've started from scratch. Like there yeah. was literally all startups and, you know, it's been great going down that journey, but I'm in acquisition mode now. You know, yeah. it's like I realize with my audience and everything, there's a lot of people who want to partner with me. Yeah. And so we launched something called Pineda Partners. And I, I think I launched it like two or three weeks ago. And we've got over like a hundred businesses we're underwriting right now as wow. potential acquisitions or partnerships or, or whatever the case looks like. And um, there's some really interesting opportunities there. So um, I'm excited for that because I think that's going to be what leads to like the next big thing. And I'm, and I'm really excited about getting into businesses and exiting because none of my businesses I've exited, you yeah. know, it's like the cash flowing businesses, like I'm good keeping yeah. them. I don't really intend to sell them. But these other ones to have like this other uh, stream of income where it's like, yeah, you know, we're going to build these up. And the goal here is to go flip it and make a huge multiple. And like, that's exciting. So I got to ask you this. You, when you're going down all these avenues, you see a demand, which your model, obviously start with the customer, have the customer, and then just give them whatever they want um, is the... Uh, the best business model you could ever have right? Uh, because they're telling you and you just supply it, right? yep. low, low risk. Yep. But to execute on these businesses and strategies, how do you find the right people? Because I think somebody sitting here listening to this may say, well, I don't have the genius or the ability to do it, which if you think about it logically, you don't have all the time in the world. You don't yeah. have, you can't, you need to work with other people. So yeah. how do you look and who are you looking for when you say, all right, Pineda Partners, how I have this idea, I have the audience and everything. I need somebody to come in and help me implement this. Yep. Got, we got to build out structure. We got to do, yep. you know, all of this kind of stuff. How are you finding, not even so much how you're finding, how do you choose those people? What are you looking for in an individual that you bring on to say, I'm going to have you help me create this business. The audience is already here. We know what the demand is. We need the execution mm -hmm. and we need that implementer. Yeah. How, how are, how are, who are you looking for? So let me like, let me break it from the beginning because I don't want the audience to think that, um, you know, you should just go start a bunch of businesses right now. Yeah. If you find the right people and partners, that's actually not what you should do. Yeah. Um, I know you would believe this too. And every successful entrepreneur does is that you need to focus on one, one thing, thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so for like you, that was self-storage yep. and eventually you got into other yes. things, right? Yep. Same with me. I did house flipping the first five years of my business career, like successfully. Yes. Then I was like, oh, you know what? Let me see. I've got these skills I learned in business and everything else. And it's actually like part of a philosophy I have called make, manage, multiply. And so basically it's a three-step process to what it should look like for your growth as an entrepreneur. You know, in stage one with make, you need to figure out a skill that makes you at least 250 grand. Like, there's lots of skills out there. You can flip houses, wholesale, do Airbnb. You could be a sales guy. You could, you know, create content and, and get sponsorships. You could have an ad agency. Like there's so many ways to make a quarter million bucks, but you got to figure out one skill that's going to get you there. And I love real estate. Like I'm a big proponent of real estate being that skill. Um, from there, once you do that and you accomplish that skill, you go to the managed stage. And the managed stage is what we're talking about, where you have to start hiring people who can now help you do that skill more <laughs> because you can't just go flip 
uh, you know, 100 houses by yourself. You could go flip 20 by yourself for sure. I've done that. But you want to scale it up, you got to get people. So this managed stage is totally different because you already know the skill. You got to learn a new skill now of hiring, firing, holding people accountable, creating culture and leadership. It's different. Yeah. And so for me, people don't really graduate that stage until they've passed a million bucks. So once you've made over a million bucks in that business, then you're in the multiply stage. And the multiply stage is simply where you become an investor. And that's yeah. like, hey, I'm reinvesting all this money my business is making into real estate or self-storage. I'm going to invest it into the business again and maybe try and take it from a seven-figure to an eight-figure business. Or now that I have these skills because I've started one successful business, I'm going to go start another business and open up a new vertical. And that's the progression that entrepreneurs need to take um, to be successful. The problem is most entrepreneurs jump to multiply. Yes. They're like, oh, I need multiple streams of income. Yes. Oh, I need to buy a rental property. And I'm like, you're broke. A rental property is not going to do anything for you. Like go learn a skill that can make you money. Yes. And so that's, that's really my message these days because when people hear my story, they assume based on where I'm at today that that's the path. You just go all into lots of things, which it's not the path. No. We started out, I started out insurance. I needed to make money. I sold insurance to make money. That was your skill. That was our skill. Good sales guy. Manage it. Good sales guy, right? Figured out, okay, well, hey, we can do this and we can manage it and replicate it. So then we started to have other people help us sell, right? Then from there, we made, we managed, and then we started buying up assets. We started Multiply. investing, and then we started yep. to have all of these companies. And then 15, 20 years, we have seven, eight different companies. We have hundreds of millions in assets. And it was starting out following in my dad's footsteps, selling insurance. You know, he started door to door. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. And not, it's great. It was Sa- great. Sales is an amazing skill. Like that is one skill that will transcend any industry. Yeah. You know, we have sales guys on our team that make over $300,000 a year. Yeah. You know, like you can make a lot of money. A lot of money. Just being a sales guy. Exactly. And they work from home just on Zoom calls. And two, you know, <laughs> a lot of people don't realize it, but it was like, I, I, I was a great sales guy, things like that. I didn't, I, but. I'm like, how am I? I'm not a rocket scientist. I'm not an engineer. I'm not going to be a doctor, right? Yeah. So what's a skill set that I could do that the one thing that I could do was just work hard? Yeah. And that's how you break it out. And that's what I was told. You find a skill set that you work hard at, but the, the hard work can't be you work hard, but you're capped on your income. Yeah. Then you're just working hard. There's yeah. no upside. So those two things had to align. From there, specialize, branch out. I, I'm going to remember that. All right. I like that. Yeah. Make, make manage, manage, multiply. multiply. Yep. That's Great how we philosophy, teach. man. Yep. So back to your original question. Now with that as like the foundation, you asked, how do you hire for all these different businesses? So for me, I've always hired from the top down. You know, most people are like, oh, well, let me go hire an admin and a salesperson and this and that. And it's like, all right, you just made four hires and you now have to manage four people because who else is going to manage them? You hired them. Yeah. Um, for me, I don't want to manage people. I don't yeah. want to manage, you know, one of the businesses. I got too many of them. Yeah. So I hire from the top and I'm like, hey, let me go find the person who's going to run this business, whether they're an equity partner, whether they're just, you know, a salaried COO, whatever, right? Yeah. I want to go find that person because it's now going to be that person's job to hire those people and to manage those people. And so instead of making five hires and managing them along the way, I make one hire from the beginning and let the rest play out. Um, 
And so like, that's how we do it across each business. But also I have a parent company. So, you know, our parent company is called Pineda Company. And this is basically just the C-suite. And their job is to just provide resource to every company underneath. Like, you know, my COO at the parent company level, his name's Javi. He checks with every COO across all these companies every single week. They have an hour meeting every week to go over any issues. And most of the time, I never even hear about their meetings because, you know, they're, um, and, and it's not because there's not problems, yeah. but they're both together able to solve what needs to get solved. And then if there's anything I need to hear about or know or come in and step in on, they'll let me know from that meeting. So I don't have to meet with all these people every week. Um, you know, we have our CTO who handles the tech for every company. So now the companies don't have to worry about tech. We have it all for them. Um, we have a recruiter at the parent company level. So now we can recruit and place across, you know, every company. Uh, we have CFO. So, you know, all the financial stuff across all the companies just flows up and we can take care of all that. And so it makes um, starting companies a lot easier because we have already this big shared resource that is super simple. And so now the companies really just need the product and, you know, the marketing. And like, it's, it's pretty much that's it. It's a formula. Same thing. We have our holdings company. It's called Ditterroot Holdings. And that is the management aspect. Under that, we have our storage company. We have an architecture company. We have a lending brokerage company. We have our branding company. We have our, you know, all these other companies that are underneath yep. that. But it started out with that core. We had to figure out how to do all that stuff, right? So that first original, our, what is our core holdings company? Now, we had to figure that out and build it, just like you did. Yep. And then as you went on, you had your one thing, you build out infrastructure. That allowed you to have capital, management, right? And know how that allowed you to partner with somebody that can do the doing. It's, it's a process that is, like, I think you're right. People get ahead of themselves, but it is a process. And there's mm -hmm. points in that process that you have just really gone through and rapidly too, especially from when we first met, man, you've just exploded, which has just been awesome to see. You're doing it so, so well. Thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, truthfully, um, you know, I never came up in the corporate world or anything. I've never had a job. <laughs> you know, I played yeah. pro baseball and then got into business. Like, and I just winged it. I'm like, oh, I'll flip a house and see what happens. And then like, I got good at finding deals and flipping houses. And it was like all just chaos <laughs> yeah. with no structure. And then one day um, we started to lose money. And I'm like, where's all the money in the bank? Like we, we've made millions of dollars. And they're like, uh, well, you pretty much have used it all to buy more deals and like you're, you have no cash. And yeah. I'm just like, oh, okay. Yeah. And I'm like, why? We should probably not let that happen again. We should yeah. probably, like I didn't keep books. I didn't do anything. And so it was always a process. And then um, I hired my first business coach. His name's Gary Harper um, at the end of 2019, going into 2020. And he came into my business and he was like, bro, okay, I'm going to teach you how to actually run a business, not be a hustler. And by the way, I mean, I was a hustler who had made millions of dollars with no infrastructure or training or whatever. And I, after that, you know, just the three days he spent in my office, it was like, I just realized how <laughs> bad we were yeah. at, at running things, even though I thought, and, and everyone else telling me we're so good. Yes. You know? Yes. And so that changed everything. And it also gave me the formula for how to do it 
again and again and again. And like, it's just continued to be that way with each subsequent business. And the cool thing is too, Gary, um, you know, he's helped me along the way and um, he's still my business coach today, but we actually partnered up in a business. Um, So he's, his team is is doing wealthy business for us. And so like they're teaching everything because I'm like, I could try to teach it, but I might as well just get the guy who, yeah, <laughs> who knows it, who taught yeah. me and like have him teach it. Yeah. So yeah, it's crazy how everything comes full circle. It's amazing, dude. So now, all right, we talked about kind of your past, your philosophies on business and how you've really gotten to this point, which is for most people, you you see this, all right, the beginning story, the end story. And I love walking through that middle ground, that creation part that you've had. Now, what are you taking? You have you have resources, you have a platform, you you have what most people don't. You have businesses, cash flow, assets, and a platform. Most people have one of those four things, mm-hmm. two of those four things, maybe three. You have all four. Mm-hmm. What is your bigger goal, bigger picture? Is it just to love life, do what you're doing, or is there a bigger journey somewhere where you're trying to achieve? Yeah, man, it's it's interesting. So there's, I think that I've heard this, um, I don't know who said it, but like there's three levels to basically like financial success. Like the first level is like, I got to provide for me and, you know, my immediate family. And like most people are stuck in this stage. They're living paycheck to paycheck, trying to figure it out, right? If they get out of that stage, fantastic. The next stage they go to is, hey, now that, you know, my immediate family's taken care of, I want to go retire my parents and I want to go and help my friends and all this stuff. So you do that. Once that's taken care of, then you get to the third stage where you're like, well, that now that's done. I like, I just want to help the world. And you know, you see a lot of billionaires do that with their different um, nonprofits and things because like, there's literally nothing else to do money wise. It's like at that point, it's all about purpose. And so for me, um, I never needed a lot of money. Like I was good when I was making nothing playing minor league baseball. I was making $7,000 a year playing minor league baseball. And I did that for eight years. So you like, you think about that and I'm like, I was totally content pursuing my dream. Cause that was my purpose at that time to yeah. play, to play in the big leagues. Um, and I just did side hustles to support yeah. <laughs> that dream. Now, as I've you know gone along in my career now I have, uh, two kids, one on the way. Um, I have, you know, all these businesses and platform. Like, okay, I'm like, okay, at this stage of my life, I'm 33 years old. What am I like? What do I want to do with the rest of this now that I have this foundation? And, you know, it's always come back to just that purpose changing over time. Um, at this point I can say what I feel like God's calling me to do is bring more entrepreneurs to Jesus. And it's, it's, it's an interesting thing because, you know, I've been a Christian my whole life. Um, I grew up in the church and all that. And I've been like public about my faith, you know, on social media, but never like so in your face and making content around it and all that stuff. Right. My content was always business and you might've heard me talk about it. Now I'm making faith-based content and and we're launching faith-based businesses and, and all this other stuff because like, it doesn't, it doesn't really make financial sense to do it. Um, it, it's just serving such a bigger purpose and a bigger need. Um, I've realized like, at least from what I see, there's not really any 
big Christian entrepreneurs who are on social media, like that are big, yeah. you know? And I see a lot of guys who are atheist. I see a lot of guys who are, you know, like just whatever they believe, they believe, yeah. right? And I'm like, man, dude, somebody's got to speak up. Somebody's got to do something, you know? Uh, the, the, the decline in America with, you know, like every year they show like the Christian um, decline, how many yeah. people profess to even believe in God. And I'm like, yeah. man, dude, this is just going to continue going that way, especially with politics and all the agendas of the world mm -hmm. right now. I'm like, this is what I got to do. And so for me, that's what I'm doing. And I know in order to achieve that purpose, I need more influence, right? I need more eyeballs to hear what I'm saying. And I need more capital to go launch all these different endeavors. I need, if we want to go plant churches and start nonprofits and throw massive events and run lots of ads to get people to these things, then you need money. So for me, that's kind of where I'm at the next, <laughs> maybe the rest of my life. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Cause like business is good. Yeah. My business will be good. Yeah. Whether I start a new one or not. Yeah. So that's kind of, Dude, I, With, yeah. I love that. I love getting down to the really the root why, the root cause. And it, it's I think it's awesome that you are speaking out. You are sharing what drives you. And I think that's going to relate to so many people, especially because today I feel like it's almost something people are, for some reason, it's that getter. People are nervous to talk about. And they almost don't feel like they can, right? And they might get canceled. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so it's like they need somebody to follow and somebody to speak up, which you should be able to speak up about anything that you believe, yeah. regardless of what it is. There should be no social restraints, no anything else like that. So I think that's awesome that you know what you're doing and you know where you're going and you're going to speak up and be a leader in that. Because I, I agree. I think there's kind of a an empty space there and it uh, needs to be filled. That's awesome. Yeah. No, I'm excited about it, man. I'm excited for, um, you know, the life change and everything. And it's funny because like, it's something that has always been on my heart. Like I remember, I mean, even when I was young, I, I always thought about one day being a pastor and, you know, obviously I, I went through a lot of different paths and everything else, but it's kind of like the timing always ends up being, you know, whatever in God's time. So like now, because I have influence, launching something like this is way easier. Yes. You know, now that I have success in not just business, but with my family and raising kids and, you know, all these other things, people are more um, likely to listen to yeah. what I have to say versus just some guy saying something. Um, what's also interesting is, th and this is going to be the hard part, um, you know, if you make money in uh, religion, people don't like it, Yes. right? Like if you have like a business that caters to uh, any religion, yeah. um, it becomes like, oh, well, freaking everything should be free. That's yes. basically what people think. Yes. And essentially, you know, we're going to make everything as close to free as possible or scholarships yeah. and all that stuff. But what's interesting is there's a lot of great faith-based businesses out there that, hey, that is their stream of income and they do need to be profitable for their family and everything else. And so they need to run it like a business while also still being true to their mission. I don't need to do that. I've yeah. already made yeah. all my money in the secular world yeah, and I'll continue to make money over there. And so I'm coming to the faith world and 
really coming without having to do anything that other people do. Like I can yeah. just do what I want and it doesn't have to make financial sense. It doesn't yes. have to, um, you know, what, whatever. Yeah, and so the resources can be delivered to your outcome. You want nothing else. Yeah. You're, you're, you're bringing, you don't have the, the short term needs that can crush a lot of businesses and a lot of scale, everything else. Yep. And you're bringing resources to it that are solely dedicated on that. Yeah. Uh, that's a big, that's well, a big leg up. And what's interesting is it's just a different perspective because I will be criticized a lot. Yeah. And I just haven't really seen anybody come from the secular world and do it this no, way. I agree. It's always like you might start in the faith-based world, aka like a Dave Ramsey or a John Maxwell, and then you go secular to broaden the yes. business and your reach and everything. And that's totally cool. I don't have any problems with that. I just have never seen anyone do the opposite. Yes, I agree. I haven't either. You do. It's build it out there. It's almost like it's afraid to lose what you've got. Yeah. And so, and I think that's what happens. People are afraid that, you know, it might affect this or, you know, spending all this time over here that doesn't make financial sense takes away from over here. And I'm just like, I don't care. Then that's, that's, (laughs) that's the goal right there. I don't care. It's that's the whole idea behind being independently wealthy Yeah, that you can say, I don't care. I'm going to do what's important to me. And that's honestly, I wish that more people had that overall vision. And too, frankly, a lot of people are very nervous to talk about their core why. I mean, even us at the top of our value tree, we have this thing we call saving capitalism. And it's like, okay, that sounds obnoxious. And that sounds <laughs> a little like, so we're like, it's it's hard to tell exactly how we say it. So we don't, we don't really talk about it, right? But at the end of the day, we're like, we need to, because we believe that it's from the ground up. So what does it mean to you? So saving capitalism for us is from the ground up, more people are participating in capitalism. Okay, It's not a political thing. It's a structural thing. Like we think more people, there should be more people like you bringing people into the economy that school and large institutions and the way the United States has gone has segmented capitalism from to the top and the bottom services capitalism. Yeah, And we believe that capitalism is meant for everyone. And the more regulation you put in, the more government control you put in, you separate those people out from the bottom to the top. Yep. And you know you get all these accredited investor laws, everything else. So our yep. mission is to bridge that gap and then you save capitalism by putting more people into it. Mm. And so it's from the bottom up. We're not talking about po- politics down, right? We're talking about <laughs> building system and infrastructure changes to get direct investments and assets. That's why I love people like you and others that are doing that. They're bringing through education or anything else it's the capitalism is the most amazing thing the world has ever seen. Yep. You need to be participating in it. No one's told you that. You've never grown up understanding that. Mm-hmm. In fact, you went to school and they told you the opposite. <laughs> this is bad, right? Yeah, By right. people that have never even done anything or participated in it. Yeah. That we're trying to change. I love that. Didn't you start a school too? So we did. Yeah, my wife did, not me. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it teaches exactly those principles. Yeah. And it's, it's you know, that's our passion. That's our why. It's at the top of our tree and we, we need to talk about it more, right? We need yeah. to be out there just like you are. And I'm like, I agree. I'm, you know, so we, we made the decision we're going to homeschool our kids now. And um, like, even with everything I'm building in my education company, I'm like literally building it as a replacement for college. Like I'm yes. thinking that much bigger. I'm like, why would you go to college when you can go to my thing? Yeah. That's significantly better. And, you know, you're going to make money right away. Yes. You're not going to wait four years to maybe get a job. Yeah. You know, so I think that the school system, how we learn, all of that's going to change. I think homeschool and self-learning are going to explode in the next 10 years. 
yeah. like explode. I think that, yeah, basically any kid, if you're 10 years old today, or even if you're in high school, I, I would guess most aren't thinking about college the way you and I thought about it. I completely agree with that. Well, as of today, 20% of the United States is homeschooled. Five years ago, that was like 6%. And I did not that know that 20 rising faster than ever before. I wouldn't be surprised if that number ends up being 50%. Yeah. It, it's either 20% are homeschool or 20% are out of the school system in yeah. one way or another. And that number is growing at such an escalating rate. And you, Ken, Ken McElroy and Robert Kiyosaki were talking to us about this and they want my wife to bring the school down to Arizona. Right. And I've been telling my wife that I'm like, I call them micro schools. Yeah. Like you need to do this. You need to do it. So we have a decentralized education system that the parents feel involved in yep. instead of the system we have now that parents are like, you get out, you don't have a say. Yeah. And it's this give your kids to the state kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. it's just and we're going to teach them what we think and what we think and whatever we want. We don't have to tell you. Right. Yeah. And it's like, go back to community-based schooling systems where the parents, like, it's crazy that you would ever not want your, the parents more involved. They should, the only thing society should do is try to get parents more involved <laughs> with their children, yeah. not less. Yeah. Right. And so bringing back that, and I think these creative solutions like my wife is coming up with and others, I think you're right. It's going to fundamentally disrupt the school system because we're not getting the fruits anymore. No, it's, it's, it doesn't produce what it's designed to or what we want it to. And the sad part is, is the amount of people that don't have the means to do something like you do, I do, or anybody else. And I think that eventually, like you're talking about, homeschool is now that section right? For people that don't have means is breaking out. I think there's going to be a bridge that is going to be made that will allow people to mass exit schools because there will be infrastructure at critical mass that currently doesn't exist today. But I think shortly here, because we're at such a big mass of people leaving, will be built by entrepreneurs or somebody else. And we'll say, here's a way to get out of the school system, get all the benefits that you're supposed to get from the school system without any of the downsides. That will completely upend the school system in the United States, and it needs to happen. It, they need competition because mm -hmm. right now they don't got to do anything. Yeah. No, I'm excited for it. And I think, um, you know, my, my kids are still young, but as time goes on and we figure out this homeschool thing and we figure out education more and more on um, the adult side, mm -hmm. I'm sure I'm going to have some kind of school solution. <laughs> You need to. Yeah. You do. It, and everyone should be figuring that out, and especially people like you that have abilities, knowledge, resources. I mean, the, uh, let alone the person coming like you are from the educational world that can take that then downstream mm -hmm. and say, I've built this, I know, right? Yep. I think that's going to be a big driver. So that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Dude, I, you know, you know me, I love you, man. Yeah, I love <laughs> everything you're doing. You're killing it out there. It's just been so awesome to see your mission. I think people respect it. I think people look at you as that authentic and saying that's what they want to be. I want to be able to do the things that I love and chase. So good on you, man. And thanks for being on here and spending your very valuable time with me. I appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for coming. Have a good one.